Good morning. Welcome to episode 11 of Coffee with the Commissioner. Uh, my name is Steve Turner and my guest today is Chief Constable of Cleveland Police, Mark Webster. Good morning, Mark. Morning to you. Dead easy, dead simple to get you off the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, Mark Webster. So I'm the Chief Constable and I have been for coming up to two years now. Um, I'm, I suppose my history, I'm now in my um, 33rd year of police service, which makes me feel really old. So I, I joined in 1992 in Manchester, uh, spent uh, 14 years, I think it was, in Greater Manchester, um, then went down to London, which was at the time the National Crime Squad, eventually became the NCA. Um, I then went to Cumbria for the best part of five years, which was very different to both my previous ones, and then now came across here in April 2022. Where, where was home growing up then? So were you some posh estate in Surrey or some no. some 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 rough rough council estate in the northwest? Somewhere? No, so I was um, home for me is Wigan uh, over in the northwest. I mean, we um, to be fair, we travelled about a bit as kids because my dad was in the forces, so um, we had a bit of an itinerant start. But we settled in Wigan, and and that really is where I grew up as a kid. That was my formative years over there. Yeah, and, and what made you want to get into policing then? When did you when did you decide you wanted to be a police officer? It's an interesting question, you know. I guess um, when you go that far back, sometimes you have to scratch your head and remind yourself. Um, I, I always wanted to do something, I suppose, that you feel counts for something. It makes a bit of a difference. And, um, you know, I've got friends in industry and people who work in the commercial sector. And, you know, what motivates them, I suppose, doesn't motivate me. So I wanted to do something that if you get to the end of your days and you've got to give an account to yourself, you can say, well, I made a bit of a difference. And I, and I think it was that really that drove me. And I, I know, obviously, I know you. I know you personally, but um, you, you're quite you, you're a bit sporty, aren't you, Mark? What's what's your passion in terms of sport? Yeah, so I, I, um, I mean, when I grew up, I did all sorts. You know, I, um, I like to kind of look after myself. So at least when you do finish working, you might have a few years left at the end of it. Um, I was a martial artist. I got my black belt and instructorship. Um, I used to play rugby, but running's my thing now. I do a heck of a lot of running, um, really, because it allows after, you know, some of the tough tests we get at work for you to clear your head. So I'll often go running on the fells over in the Lake District and things like that, which is gives me a bit of relaxing time, I think. What's the toughest run you've ever done? Gosh, um, I've done some long ones. You know, I've been been out on sort of five, six hour things that can be quite tough. But it, it sometimes it surprises you that I, I, I ran a, what was a mountain marathon one time, but it was on a little island um, off the North Wales coast, and it was about thirty degrees um, at the time, and you've got all the kind of salt water, and you're doing this lap of this tiny island, about six or eight laps of it. I can't remember which. And that was that was properly difficult just because of the conditions, not necessarily the terrain. Right. So that's that doesn't sound like fun to me. <laughs> you talk about running five or six hours. I'm thinking, well, that's probably not much more than about ten k for me some days. Yeah, no, it's it, it's good. You know, you um, the, the best thing is not when you're racing. I mean, I've we won uh, a little team of four of us won the police um, national fell race over in Snowdonia a few years ago. And it was good because I think we were all in our 50s and we were the old boys and we beat all the youngsters, which was quite satisfying. But the, the, the best runs are not the races. You know, the best runs are where you just go out on a Saturday and run for a little bit and clear your head. Clear your head. Yeah. yeah, and that's a great <clears throat> way of doing that. So you've, you've had quite a varied career. Yeah. Um, I suppose that the bit that stands out on your CV is um, Director of Intelligence and Operations at the National mm. Crime Agency. So is that as grand as it sounds? 
it, it, it was a great job. It, it really was. So um, the National Crime Agency, it's about 5,000 people strong. Um, it, it's the wrong description, but the, the description people use often is it's, you know, Britain's version of the FBI, and it, it's similar. Um, so what, what we dealt with were those serious and organised criminals causing the most harm to the UK. Um, I had uh, under my command about two-thirds of the agency at the time. And if I'm honest, um, you know, without any disrespect to others, I had all the good bits. So I had um, the surveillance teams, the firearms teams, um, the people who used to do technical surveillance. I had the people overseas in, in a number of different countries overseas that we used to impact on things like drug tra uh, drug trafficking and what have you. So it, it, it was a great job. It was um, cops and robbers on a grand scale, I think. I think the term used in policing is the uh, Gucci. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. quite a Gucci job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, within the NCA then, so obviously lots of our listeners won't, won't understand that, mm. and I know we sort mm. of try and describe it as the FBI, but most people don't understand what the FBI does as yeah. well. What Can you give us an example of maybe of a, of a job you did or something that was, was most interesting within that? A, a couple of jobs, um, maybe to illustrate it. So, so drugs is a problem. Um, it's a problem in most Western countries, particularly a problem here. Um, and we had officers across in Afghanistan and, and the aim of the officers across there, and I used to go across and see them and, and, and assist with some of the work, but the aim of the officers over there were to try to stop drugs at that point getting to the UK. Um, so what we could do over there was intercept drugs in far greater quantities than when it actually gets broken up into small quantities when it comes comes to the UK. And, you know, the kind of things we were talking about were on occasions a tonne, a tonne and a half of heroin and stuff like that. So, and what's the street value of a tonne and a half of heroin, oh, just to put that in perspective? Um, I, I, you'd have to give me a calculator, but it's an awful lot of money. If each one of those bags needs to be funded by... On, on the majority of occasions of criminal lifestyle, you know, you may get two or three burglaries um, for a number of different hits of heroin. So if you multiply that by the thousands or the tens of thousands, what you're doing is preventing that crime on the streets of the UK. And, and we would seize those kind of amounts, you know. Um, we used to, um, you know, one of the best jobs, I think, we did a, an interception of um, some firearms coming into the UK. Um, there were arms factories out in um, Turkey and Eastern Europe that used to reactivate um, um, uh, firearms and they would bring these into the UK. We intercepted, I think it was about 40 submachine guns, 1,400 rounds of ammunition um, and lots of other things besides. And, and the satisfying thing about that is you know that each one of those guns would have been in circulation for 10, 15 or 20 years and each one of those would have been used to shoot at people, kill people repeatedly over the course of that 10 or 20 years. So if you can take things out like that at source or at least somewhere along that chain, you can have a massive impact on the number of lives um, that are affected. Um, yeah, and, and that's really satisfying work. That That's the kind of stuff the NCA still does. Yeah, and and what we see at the minute, just on, on that same theme about stopping things coming in, <laughs> There's, uh, I, know, I know we've had quite an interesting interesting conversation off air yeah. around whether there's options to look at knife crime and knives mm -hmm. being imported. And I know I was on a job with some of your officers just this week mm -hmm. um, where we'd intercepted some pills coming in and then we were going mm -hmm. to, to arrest the guy that had ordered them. Do, do you think that that is a, a good long-term strategy then to start looking at stopping it coming in at source rather than mm -hmm. your officers having to deal with it once it hits the ground? 
It's part of the strategy, I think, part of the plan. I, I mean, often what we want and, and you know, it, it, in a very complex situation, and knife crime is a very complex situation, what, what people often want is the simple solution. You know, well, if we just ban this or if we just send these people to prison, that will solve the problem. And, of course, that's a really key part of the problem. You know how keen I am on proactive policing and getting hands on the people who are causing them harm. But it's only an element of the problem. So, so actually... If you can work with the post office or parcel companies to scan parcels, if you can work with retailers, if you can work with websites to ban various different websites, if you can work in educating kids in schools and making people feel safer and understand the choices they're making, if you can work with the courts to actually divert people who find themselves in a position but they're not maybe really strongly criminal-minded, all of these things are part of the solution. Now, I know that often doesn't turn into a soundbite, so it isn't it isn't it doesn't play yeah. great on social media. But if you just run around arresting people, you'll achieve some of what you want to achieve, but you're not going to solve the problem. Just on that, because you mentioned you're not a fan of social media, are you? You're not one of these chiefs that likes to be front and centre. No, I'm not. I mean I mean I you know I used to have a, a profile on social media, but I, I think over the last five to ten years um, my view is social media has just got so polarised and so toxic that I'm not sure it's as useful, um, certainly for the police, as it used to be. Now, you know, different chiefs take different views, but it's all got very shouty, it's all got very polarised. And the problem is there are some good points and some good voices on there, but they get lost in the angry mob. So moving on, Cleveland. Yes. What, what, what landed you here? Why Cleveland? Why, um, why at this point in your career? It, it's, um, I guess I, I, I felt... I probably had a job left in me before I finished. And um, I looked at Cleveland um, kind of from afar. And I, and I think, you know, I know there was difficulty um, recruiting. And the first time I didn't apply, um, you know, because I, you could see the challenge it was going to be. And I guess second time round, the, the, there were two things really. I, I really still difficult jobs. So, you know, I, I, you know, and we've spoken about this before, in GMP, I kind of volunteered to go on Boss Side and South Manchester because that was the toughest place to work. Um, and there was a bit of that about Cleveland. It was a tough old thing. And equally, as public servants, I do think that, you know, on occasions where there are these difficult jobs, somebody's got to step up and do them. And, and it wasn't... It wasn't really obvious who was going to step into the breach. Um, like I say, I felt like I had a you know a, a, a good job left in me, and I just thought it would be a good challenge. And if you could sum up in one sentence where you felt Cleveland Police was at on the day you landed, what would it be? Oh, that's tricky. I, I, <laughs> um, I never said it'd be easy. Yeah, I, I, it was probably wounded. I think I don't know okay. whether that's the right word. That's yeah, how it I felt a little that. bit. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, and and I do get that, and I know it was you came in at a really difficult time for mm-hmm. for us and 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 the force, and I think for me what stood out was the diligence you'd shown um, pre pre application, if you like, and then the, the way you presented that um, that knowledge um, came across really really strongly uh, when we went through that process, and I've seen that that comes through in how you do. So that wasn't, for me, that wasn't something you did to get the job. Mm. That was what you do. Mm. And and so we've seen that now. So so you come into play, Cleveland just over two years ago. Um, force was wounded. We weren't yeah. in a great place. We were still firmly in, in special measures. 
how how did you approach that then once you were in situ? Um, one of the things that I thought right from the outset was um, we had some good people and I thought we could make some real progress if we gave them more voice in what we do. Um, I'm a strong believer that, you know, yes, I've got 30 plus years in the job, but actually I'm not driving a van around Middlesbrough and actually, you know, the people who know best how to do that job will be some of the people who are currently doing it. So you've got to... You've got to people, give people a voice in, in what they do because they've got some great ideas. And equally, I've worked in situations in the past where, you know, you, you're just told what to do, you're told how to do it, and you're told to get on with it. And it's a pretty demoralising way of managing people or, or leading people. So a lot of it was engaging people and giving them a voice uh, in that. Now, that wasn't particularly easy, you know, because some of the messages that, that, that people gave back in the early days were, were really tough. Um, there wasn't that kind of faith and trust in the early days. Um, so, you know, internally, I put a lot of effort into that. I, I, I guess externally, um, it, it was clear that what people wanted was bold policing, you know, just, just bold, visible, straightforward policing. Um, and again, that's quite difficult to do um, when you've got all of this complexity swirling around, you know, all of these different crime types, all of the different strains on you. But I put a lot of effort into showing the public what bold, positive policing should be and all the proactivity we've spoken about before. So not just people running around reacting to the radio, but people having the time to take out the people causing problems in the communities. Yeah. So I guess they were two legs of the approach in the early days. And what do you think your biggest challenge has been in that two years? I, I think everybody's challenged. Um, I, th I think that's the thing. So policing is good when it can focus on the things that only policing can do. And there are various different things, you know, whether... I don't know, you know, it's exercising criminal powers of entry, arresting people, surveilling people, hostage negotiation, all these kind of police specialisms. If we if we can deliver straightforward policing using the powers that only police that can uh, can do, we'll be much better for it, I think, as will with the communities. But what we find is we end up having quite a lot of mission creep into other areas and we're filling gaps um, in you know, in, in other agencies' responsibilities. And I think that's the tough thing because people will look to us and say, well, you know, why is an X problem been resolved? What are the police doing about this? And, and often we're 20% of the solution, but we start to fill the gap of the other bit that's missing. And that's the biggest challenge for us, I think. That's yeah. the biggest strategic challenge for us. I, I think it is, and, and I see that. And I work with our partners and... Mm. Um, policing is is often the last part of call, but mm. we always pick up the phone. That's so, right. So people yeah. then expect us to deal with it. Um, what's what do you think? And I'm pretty certain I know the answer to this, but I want you to expand on it. What, what do you think your your biggest achievement's been in the last two years? I think I, I think I know what you think I'm going to say. <laughs> you, you, you probably think I'm going to say getting the force out of oversight, um, and and that. Um, was a big achievement, but I, but I think the biggest achievement is is getting two and a half thousand people to have a bit more pride and to believe in themselves, and it's there, it's, it's those people who got us out of oversight. So I guess I guess you know the, the biggest achievement is getting people to believe in themselves and deliver like they've delivered. So moving forward, then twenty twenty four and beyond, um, I I asked a couple of people um, what they would ask the chief constable if they were sat here today. And 
they, they all came up with a similar thing, but on different mm. from a different angle. So the view generally of the people I speak to, and and what what do you see from from Cleveland Police going forward? What what are your priorities in in the next twelve to eighteen months? Okay, so um, I was very keen that we didn't have a big sigh of relief when we got the force out of special measures. You know, we need we needed two or three days for people to feel good about themselves, but we've got to keep that momentum up, and, and we have. Um, and the important thing is we can see that in the crime outcomes. So, you know, we got some of the best detection rates in the country for some categories of crime. We're really good at answering 999 calls, these kind of things. You know, people often miss what we're really good at. So the momentum is delivering some of that. And that matters because if you're sat in a community, it matters that you've got less burglaries or there's more detections for whatever the, you know, for personal robbery or whatever it is. So keeping the momentum up is a real challenge. We, um, I, I think though, we, we built a really good kind of beachhead, if you like, with the proactivity. So we've arrested hundreds more people. We've got lots less people out there who are wanted because we've reduced the number of that by, by kind of almost half. But really what that does is it builds the space for us then to try to take a more preventative and problem-solving approach. And doing that in some really difficult areas like off-road bikes, for example, or violent crime, none of these can be solved with a simple solution. But actually, you know, working with councils, working with schools, working with manufacturers of off-road bikes or auction houses or petrol stations, all of that work. It's a lot less Gucci, in your words, than some of the other stuff, but it really, really matters because you've got to do that to solve the problem. And, and over the next 12 to 18 months, that's what we've got to do. Um, what that will deliver if we focus on the stuff that matters to people is it will deliver a best, a better inspection result for us. Um, but we're not concentrating on just deliver better inspection results. We're concentrating on the things that matter to people. and We've got to keep pushing and pushing on that. And, and I think, from, from my perspective, that's been one of the key fundamental changes in the fact that because of the nature of, of the engaged process, mm. we end up focusing on ticking boxes and yeah. what do we do there. And, and I think we lost sight as a force of, mm. of what we were here for, which was the public. Mm. Um, that's something I see very differently now. And I, I think the focus is on the public and the other stuff then falls in behind that. Um, with that in mind then, what if we're sat here in 12 months' time and, and we're chatting together, what would you like to be able to say your biggest achievement of 2024 was? Um, the uh, I think I've said this um, once somewhere before and I, I wouldn't want people to misinterpret it, but I, I would like to get the position to the position that... I've got such a strong team in place leading this force that it makes absolutely no difference whether I'm here or somebody else is here because I, I think we've got fabulous people in this force and I think you know the, the people at Teesside need to know some of the cops you've got here are as good as any I've seen, uh, including in the NCA or anywhere else. So the best legacy would be you could you could look at how the force was, look at how it was now, and it would be it would be unrecognisable with really solid people leading the force. I think that's where I'd, yeah. I'd feel comfortable at that point. Yeah, and yeah. um, we've gone a long way on that journey. We, we really have, and, and, and I see that. Um, so your, your hopes for the future are the same as everybody. We, we want a yeah. better force. We want yeah. a place where our teams work and be proud of working there yeah. and, and a, a force that, that the Cleveland public can be, can be proud of. What what do you see as the barrier to that? 
I mean, there's lots, isn't there? I think if you go to if you go to any public sector agency, they will always say, "Give me more resource, I'll be able to do more with it." We need to be able to continue to be as efficient as the effective as we can because that allows us to deliver more people who can make more impact on crime. Um, big, biggest problem is I, I, I worry for partners because I think partners are stretched and we've got some really good people in many of the local councils, many of the other agencies, but they're having a tough time of it financially. And as I say before, you know, policing is often 20% of the solution, but if that other 80% of the solution is feeling the pain, then that, that is going to constrain us. Um, so they, they'd be the two key things I'd, I'd, I'd pick out, really. Look at, again, look into the future. For, uh, do, you, do you want to see a, a, a strong Cleveland police force or a strong Cleveland police service? Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, we, we, we're a bit of a kind of mixed bag, aren't we? I mean, I always refer to us as a force. I, I always have. Maybe I'm old-fashioned in that way. You know, the, we, we, the, the job of the police force really... You know, 5% of people might be victim of crime during a year. 95% won't, but they'll fear it. What they want to know is there's a kind of, you know, a big, bold police force that will stand in front, in front of, you know, between them and the bad guys, and that's a police force. That's why we're so proactive. That's why we're so visible. Equally, you know, we're not there just to go out and boss people around, tell them what to do and withdraw their liberty, you know. So there's very much a service element of what we do, victim care, all the work we're doing around supporting violence against women and girls and, and stuff. But, but yeah, I definitely see us as being big, bold and doing the, the, the basics of policing and, well. And that's the challenge, isn't it? So it, from, from the inside looking out, we know a lot of the work that needs to go on. Is that proactive work? Is that educational yeah. work? Is the stuff behind the scenes that lots of the public won't see? Yeah. Um, but to buy time to do that, we've got to have officers on the ground kicking doors in and catching bad guys, which is, is what the public want to see. So it is very much a, a conundrum and it's, it's a balancing act that yeah. that you as, as the chief have to, have to get right. And from what I see, you've made some um, pretty instrumental changes in terms of command units, mm. neighbourhood policing. Uh, you're a big advocate of neighbourhood policing. I know we're, we're recording this in Neighbourhood Policing Week and... Yeah. And, and I'm led to believe you're, you're off out with the legend that he's Coggy. I oh, have, yeah, yeah this later afternoon. this afternoon, that's right. Later this afternoon, yeah. and, and I did a I did a radio interview with him just this week as well, and the guy is infectious. Yeah. He's, you yeah, you he's can't good. fail to, to leave a room with Coggy and not have a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah. Um, see that. So it's it's those type of things that, mm. that I see as a PCC that have made a massive difference and you've brought to this force. So... In summary, then, so I, I asked you, I asked you for one sentence that summed the force up when when you got here. Mm. If I was to ask you the same question about where you think the force is now, what would you say? I'll chuck a caveat in first, which is, of course, the force is two and a half thousand different people, and not everybody will feel the same, and we'll still have, you know, pockets of things, I'm sure, but. When I was out last week with the newly launched Matrix team, when we're doing Operation Artemis, um, there's a real buzz about the place. I would say that the force is buzzing at the moment. Now, that doesn't mean people don't have tough days. It doesn't mean they're not under pressure. It doesn't mean everything's great because we all know we can do so much for more. But it, it's unrecognisable to, to how it was. You know, um, That's how it feels to me. Yeah. And if you had one last message for your officers and the public, what would it be? Message for the officers, uh, genuinely, I, I'm humbled by what you do and, and, and the fact that, you know, they, they've taken a beating over the years. They've never de denied that things could be better, but they carry on every day, putting a uniform on or putting a suit on, whatever they're doing, and they go out there and protect people every day, and I'm humbled by it. 
um, mes message for the public, you know, um, the, the people you've got serving you, the, the members of your communities, they live with you, they send the kids to the same school. Every day they put a uniform on and, you know, they, they take some pain to do that as well. So support them, have pride in them, and through doing that, we'll deliver the best policing service we possibly can. Best police force we possibly can. Best police force we possibly can. <laughs> You're right. That's brilliant, Matt. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, that's been great. That's been um, episode 11 of Coffee with the Commissioner, filmed here at Flock in Middlesbrough. Um, thank you all very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>